This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a podcast about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Brittany Meeks. And now, it's time to get your life together. You. Yes, you. This is Get Your Life with Brittany Luce. Welcome back once again to Get Your Life, where I talk with a friend of the show about their favorite way to care for themselves. And this is self-care even for people who think self-care is bullshit. We've covered everything from how to deal with your own bitterness to how to take deep breaths when life gets overwhelming. Whatever little form of self-care that helps folks get from day to day. I started Get Your Life so we could all learn how to put ourselves first. Because self-care is something that a lot of Black folks need, especially Black women. And even though I know this, I'm still terrible at giving it to myself. It's like I don't always feel like I'm allowed to apply it in my own life. When self-care actually works for me, it's not exactly the cool, sexy version they used to sell fancy sports bras. You know, the photo of, like, a very thin white lady drinking a $12 pressed juice after her $40 fitness class. When I'm caring for myself, it looks a lot more like going to therapy or actually sleeping or even just drinking water. The things that give me the energy that I need to enjoy my life or just deal with it when shit gets hard. Rachel Wilkerson Miller would call that showing up. Rachel is a writer and editor based in Brooklyn, and she's written a ton of super popular BuzzFeed articles on weddings, DIY projects, and lifestyle trends. She also wrote the book on dot journaling. Literally, she wrote a book called Dot Journaling, A Practical Guide. But the purpose of Rachel's work is deeper than just fancy pens and notebooks. And in the last couple of years, Rachel's writing has taken on an even more essential meaning to her and her readers. Her work has certainly changed the way that I think about how I treat myself. And I wanted to share some of that with you all. So recently, I invited Rachel to the studio for a chat. And she told me how she realized she could find the most meaningful self-care in the least likely of places. It was during a time in her life when things had gotten really, really bad. In the summer of 2015, my husband disappeared. He left just like that. It was super traumatic. It was super sudden. My whole life was up in the air in a way that I just didn't even know was possible. I was in this weird space of just every day. Nothing made sense. For the first time, I started watching a lot of TV, which was a sign for me that, like, I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't normal for me. If I can spend an entire weekend in bed watching 23 episodes of Jane the Virgin, like, things are not okay right now. A couple weeks after that, and some more TV marathons in between, it was Thanksgiving, and I was spending it by myself, which was 
was the right decision, but I just totally underestimated how hard it would be to be by myself. I felt really out of sorts and I was like, I just need to get out of the house. The city was so empty and it was so quiet. So I went to Old Navy on Thanksgiving because it was just like one of the only things that was open. And they have their huge wall of pajamas. The pajamas were this really lovely white and blue. They sort of echoed like how we dress wounds and bandages and, and what you would see in a hospital. There's something about like white, clean cotton that invokes healing. And they were on sale for 50% off. In that moment, I was like, oh, oh, I'm going to buy pajamas. So I bought two pairs of pants. I took the pants home, and then that became my new routine. I would get up in the morning, and I would change out of the pajamas I had slept in and put on these, like, clean day pajamas. Like, it was suiting up for the task at hand, which was just to lay there and be sad. I wore those pajamas for a very long time, like, through a lot of hard days. That was my little bit of joy. And that was when I really understood what self-care meant. It was saying to myself in that moment, things are bad and they're going to be bad for a while. Settle in. It's not going to get better right away. And like that means admitting to myself I'm not okay and that I need help. I had been like admitting it to the degree of like I would tell my friends like everything is fucked. Like This is so bad, but that's not quite the same. It's like I am sad. There's nothing I can do except like lay here and watch TV and just be sad. That gave me this this rooted place to come from that I could then sort of begin to, to deal with everything else in a different way. How Rachel's self-care revelation changed her life? Coming up after the break. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Rachel Wilkerson Miller, how do you get your life? I get my life via showing up for myself and for other people. It's just this feeling of wholeness. It feels a little bit magical. It feels a little special. To me, it just feels like the sparkle emoji. Like it's that little bit of like brightness and and a spark of something that you just know is pure and good. You know, I love how you broke it down into these three steps. You know, for you, showing up is number one, noticing how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, processing that feeling to try to figure out what's causing it. And lastly, then you respond to that feeling, you know, like taking actual steps and making actual changes, even yeah. if they're small, to address the issue. Showing up is at its core self-care, but mm-hmm. I think I'm definitely thinking about a different definition of self-care. And for people who don't think self-care is for them, maybe showing up will will resonate more. So let's talk about self-care, mm-hmm. like the definition of it. I first learned about self-care when I was in a volunteer training for 
the Bellevue Hospital, which is a hospital in Manhattan in New York, Bellevue Hospital Sexual Assault Response Team. Okay. So it's not like being a first responder, but it's not unlike being yeah, a first yeah. responder to a situation like that. Very, like, demanding mm-hmm. work that you're doing, like, for yeah, free. Yeah, heavy. Yeah. Most of the people in there were nursing students, hmm. nurses, other first responders, social workers, educators— all these people who are giving yeah, all of the time. Already. During the training, they brought up this concept of self-care. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> all the other social workers were like, yeah, 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 yeah. They were like rolling their eyes like, we know, we know about this. And I was like, wait a second. They described it sort of as like when you have this profession that requires so much of you on a regular mm-hmm. basis, you have to make it a professional priority mm-hmm. to do things that are going to reinvest in yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm looking at that now seven, eight years older and wiser. And I'm like, oh, I get it. But at the time, I sort of thought of it as this thing that I was like, oh, this is for people who are like going through real things. Never Mm -hmm. mind the fact that I had a lot of unexamined trauma that I was carrying around (laughs) and putting out on other people. Yeah, but you're like, oh, that's for people with serious problems. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But it was like I learned about it in this very clinical, professional Mm -hmm. environment. And then the next time I saw it was like a glittering <laughs> like a gift. bomb. Yeah, bomb, like on right. Tumblr. And I was yeah. like, wait, what is this? And since then, I feel like now it's gone from sort of even just like underground mm-hmm. Tumblr lingo to like now it's— Very mainstream. It's very mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to bring up capitalism. It all, it always—we get there so quickly, though. We get though. there so fast. Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth because on the one hand— That is how things get amplified so often. You need buy-in, you need money, you need a platform, you need a voice. So to some degree, when big brands are talking about self-care or writing about self-care, that just puts it in people's consciousness in a way that they may not have found it otherwise. Like they Mm. don't have access to the training that you did or they're just not going to hear it any other way. So on the Mm -hmm. one hand, I'm like, that's great. The people who need it may be more likely to find it. The downside of that is that if they are finding it via brands or people or outlets who are irresponsible with it or who make it seem like the, it is one specific thing, who get it wrong, essentially, mm-hmm. then then people might not think it's for them. I feel like there's this popular, memefied, commonly used definition of mm-hmm. self-care that's like an Instagram, like a square Instagram photo from the grid, mm-hmm. like a white lady wearing like Outdoor voices. I was just going to say outdoor voices. Yes, and like outdoor voices, two-piece, <laughs> mm-hmm. some, like, like a golden outfit. milk latte. Exactly, a golden yep. milk latte, like, in Sedona <laughs> at a yoga retreat. Yep. As a self-care behavior, that is fine, mm-hmm. but I think it is a very limiting definition. If you are scrolling through your feed and that is all you are seeing, it makes you start to think that that is the only thing that self-care can be. Mm. And if you don't hear or see it looking any other way, you might feel like it's not for you. When I was actually going through a really rough time, a lot of my friends kept saying to me, are you practicing self-care? And like that just didn't make any sense to me in that Mm -hmm. moment. I was like, my life is falling apart. Like a manicure isn't going to fix this. Like I didn't understand self-care for a while because I just was like, well, I don't like taking baths. So like this isn't (laughs) this isn't a thing for me. Like I didn't really understand what it could be or how expansive it could be and Mm -hmm. what it can include. The moment I really understood self-care was when I bought myself the Old Navy pajama pants there was something about that sort of surrender to, oh, I'm sad and I'm going to be sad and I'm going to take care of myself the best that I can in this terrible moment. Mm. It wasn't about taking a bath. It was saying, oh, I have a need. I am not okay. I have to actually take care of myself, Mm. which is a very literal definition of self-care. Like it's the taking care (laughs) of yourself. But I think it was being able to view it through the lens of healing, of nursing, of like actually taking care. And also, yeah, it was something that was meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. If you don't like a bath, then exactly. you're like, what is this? What yeah, is the and point? once I had this definition of self-care, 
then I was able to kind of connect it back to other things, like the basic things like flossing or skincare and washing your face and taking a shower, like that self-care. Self-care is so much about self-reflection and examining what you actually need in a given moment. And yeah, the thing that might make you feel better is a bath, but what also might make you feel better is having a hard conversation or breaking up with somebody who's shitty or rearranging your life slightly, like those things can also make you feel better. Like you can take all the baths you want, but if you hate your partner, like the the bath isn't going to fix it. It's really interesting too when you talk about the Old Navy pajama pants. It's giving yourself space to not do life any differently than you can at that moment. Yeah, definitely. Just being exactly where you are and Mm -hmm. caring for yourself where you are and not trying to necessarily fix yourself. Just saying, I am here. I'm going to be here for a while. What can I do to make the place that I am a little bit lovelier, a little bit safer or more comforting or just have a little bit of joy in it? How can you spark joy even when you're in your worst moment? And I do think that 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 stuff matters, especially if you are marginalized or kind of dealing with these heavy, big things. The idea of finding joy can sort of feel insulting. But I mean, we just have so much history of of people finding that joy, even in the worst possible circumstances, Mm. that makes me think that we shouldn't write that off. It is a survival mechanism, and it Mm. is sometimes the only thing that can keep you going. Black women in general have so much to sort of deal with and so much coming at them from all different directions that we are a group that just needs self-care. I see it in my own life and also in the lives of other Black women that I know, like specifically women of color, specifically Black women, struggle with like this idea of like self-care is for me or I deserve self-care. That's an activity that I can participate in. Mm -hmm. It is ironic to me that that's sort of the case because I feel like you're expected to be everybody's everything. Mm Mm-hmm. We are viewed so often as the ones who take care of other people. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that version of the Black woman has just pervaded everyone's consciousness in a way that I don't know if they're even really aware of. I mean, within our community and also Yeah, so I think it's really empowering to stop and say, like, no, I have to actually take care of myself. You have to take care of yourself to be able to take care of other people, but also you just have to take care of yourself. Like, you deserve that care. Black women specifically, we need the reminder that we don't belong to other people. Mm. Other people see our time and our energy as theirs first and not our own. To me, so much of self-care is about setting boundaries just so that I can do the self-care, like Mm -hmm. saying no to certain things or ending a conversation so I can go to bed. And yeah, I don't know that everyone is thrilled when a Black woman asserts that she doesn't owe them anything, that she doesn't owe them her time or energy or that she's not just primarily concerned with them. Um, Mm. So I think that's why it's really important to make sure that you are drawing some lines. Are you actually taking care of yourself? Or are you saying, I'll get to it later? Or are you saying you're taking care of yourself, but then stopping because somebody's bugging you for your time or asking you for your time? Mm. And you were going to take care of yourself, but then you you just couldn't do it. Mm. If you don't make those choices for yourself, other people will make them for you. And you, you won't get a chance to get that time and energy back. I feel like you've been texting with my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Is your therapist a black woman? (laughs) She She absolutely, absolutely, absolutely is. Okay, so I'm convinced. Taking care of yourself is essential. But what does showing up for yourself actually look like in practice? We get some practical tips from Rachel after the break. Welcome back. So I've always thought of Rachel as someone with her finger on the pulse of the newest lifestyle trends. She was the first person to introduce me to Marie Kondo, dot journaling. And she even has a really great salad dressing hack if you're into packing your lunch. 
But her writing is not just about the novelty of these methods. It's also about using them to support your overall wellness. She seems to really understand that the people who read her work aren't just looking for a fun tip to try. They're trying to fill a deeper need. By the time you're hitting 30, if you're not going through something bad, somebody close to you probably is. Like if you're not the one getting divorced, a friend is. If, if you're not having a miscarriage, a friend is. I got lucky in that I had a bit of a head start on some of this stuff. Losing my dad when I was 13, and, and that is after years of not really having a relationship with him, and then having this terrible divorce. Having those things happen, I felt like I got a leg up that I was like, oh, I know how to do this. Let me help you. Like, I went through this thing, so now I can show you what helped me because I've been at this for a little while. Lifestyle writing or, or good service writing is fixing a problem, so you have mm. to sort of acknowledge that that problem exists. And it's not always that deep, but I think that is an understanding that, like, things can be hard, so how can we make them a little bit better? Mm. Right after the election, I started working on the book Dot Journaling. After the election, we were all very—well, not we were all, but— I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, many of us were very, very stressed and thinking of, okay, what can we do to fix this? I remember even the, coming to work the day after the election and just being in, in New York City, so many people were like openly sobbing, yeah. you know? Kind of felt like sort of going from like a private grieving or an internal mm -hmm. in-group grieving to like public grieving. Mm -hmm. I was working on it during the inauguration. So I was very sort of aware of this massive upheaval and the grief that we were all experiencing at once. Like my writing isn't all connected to to healing the trauma of, of the election or to being marginalized. But if I can make things less bad, if I can help you find a good recipe to make for dinner, like that's also still <laughs> important. Like that's mm. still a way of, of helping with self-care, teaching people to take care of themselves. And it mm. was really interesting to be thinking about journaling and documentation in that moment. Journaling and diaries have been around forever. But I do think that in moments of fear about the future and moments of anxiety and moments of grief and that kind of stress, like people are inclined to want to write things down and to document them. Could you explain briefly in a way that's going to be audio friendly <laughs> <laughs> what dot journaling is? It's remarkably hard to explain. <laughs> it's basically a framework where you use little symbols like a dot or a bullet to better organize your note-taking, whether that is to-do lists, whether that is creating a diary, whether that is creating a planner, basically anything that you could do in a notebook. It's just a framework for organizing those notes a little bit better so you can find the mm -hmm. things that you wrote down easier or you can make plans for the future a little bit easier. Hmm. Journaling and tracking moods and, and your day-to-day -day behaviors can be a good thing because you have this record where you might be telling yourself, like, oh, I don't cry at work that often, I, you know, whatever. And then you, like, you're look like, back and you're like, says. right. And then it's like, oh, actually, you've cried at work, like, three times a week for the past six months. Like, actually, it's more than you think. But sometimes we don't believe it until we have that, like, hard data in front of us. If somebody asked me how much I was sleeping, <laughs> I'd be like, I sleep, like, seven and a half hours <laughs> every night. Mm -hmm. I started using this app called Strides. Mm -hmm. S-T-R-I-D-E-S. I love it. It's like really great for like if you only have like five minutes to sort of check in in the morning or at mm -hmm. night. According to Strides, I was sleeping four and a half hours a night. Oh. Yes. Yep. I was sleeping four and a half hours a night. I wasn't sleeping through the night. And I also was like thirsty as hell. I wasn't drinking <laughs> water. Mm -hmm. Once you are looking at it, you can't really tell yourself a story about what's going on anymore. Mm. Um, and I think it's particularly important if you live alone because you don't have anyone else who sees you every day, who sees the full picture. It's much easier if you live with a partner for them to say, you don't get enough sleep or you've been really cranky lately yeah. or you're doing X, Y, Z. But if there's not somebody who's literally seeing you regularly or if the only people who are your coworkers who like, 
that's not really their job, it can be much, much harder to spot those patterns. And mm-hmm. so you do kind of have to do that extra work of, of tracking it yourself. And so that is also, again, self-care because you don't have a person right there present to do it for you, like your parents or your sibling or your partner. <sighs> that's a really good point. It's so weird. When, I, when I'm when i like living alone, I just, I, I realized how many morning routines I could go through without anyone seeing me. And mm-hmm. like, that's just such a strange thing to realize that you are being not seen in this way, that might be another reason why I why journaling felt so meaningful in that moment because I was like mm. able to see myself and record my life in a way because I didn't have anyone else to do that anymore. Yeah. It's like a constant checking in. It feels yes. like you're having a conversation with yourself. Totally. And that to me is what showing up comes down to. It's the noticing and then the processing because mm. I don't think you can really show up for yourself if you don't know who you are and what you need, like mm-hmm. at a really basic level. Like it's so easy to just only check in when things get super bad instead of doing it when things are good too, to kind of get a sense of who you just are and what you mm-hmm. like and what you want. I want to talk more about this idea of showing up mm-hmm. as self-care. I'm going to quote you Great. to you <laughs> in one essay titled Being Organized is a Gift I Give Myself and Other People. You said being organized is one of the main ways I practice self-care. A lot of people think of self-care as something that's done in a nail salon or on a massage table once a month. But for me, it's something that can be done frequently. One new Google Calendar event, addition to my to-do list, or auto-pay bill at a time. That made me feel dragged, personally. (laughs) But it really resonated with me showing up for yourself and being organized as Mm self-care. That's an area where I... This is actually probably so messed up. At work, it's a lot easier for me to yeah. be organized and like yeah, because people t- can see you. <laughs> yes, I have like, like all of this accountability. Mm-hmm. And then like in my actual life, everything yeah. sort of falls apart. Could you talk to me about why being organized is such a high priority for you? You know that feeling when you're like looking for something and you can't find it and everybody's watching you Every and you just day. feel, you know, yeah. that feeling is so bad. And I was like, I never want to feel that way again. Running late, not being able to find something. Mm-hmm. Those situations are so stressful to me. I finally realized like, oh, I don't have to feel this way. Like, hmm. like I can stop losing my context prescription. I can just put it in a place where I know where it is and always put it there. Following my separation from my husband, I felt really grateful to the decisions I had made for no reason really in the past that had just like come to my rescue. Like imagine being in that situation when everything is already so bad and then Mm -hmm. also having to hunt down passwords or remember like the street you grew up on or whatever shitty security question you're trying to remember. Mm -hmm. I had a password manager and I had been like keeping track of these things for years. Mm -hmm. Like I knew what bills we had. I knew when they, what days they were paid. I could easily access that information. That is the absence of one more thing to worry about. Like past me just did future me such a huge favor. I'm just like, if I have the option to not be feeling stressed or not be running late or not just be apologizing all the time, great. I'm going to just do this as much as I can. It's almost like you have this thing that you can't control. Mm-hmm. So if you're dealing yeah. with something that's totally out of your control, mm-hmm. it's like you're, like you're like, well, I can at least do this one thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's greasing an entryway. <laughs> it's yeah. just sort of like, all right, like I can do my little part here. It's mm-hmm. not going to change the overall situation yeah. or alleviate the entire thing. But it's like, this is like, these are like the five things that I can control. Exactly. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to do those five yep. things. Because in the end, that's going to make me feel a lot better. Exactly. Yeah. And it won't make me feel worse. When I was really going through it, there were days when I was just like, I can't really feel better, but I can not feel worse. So like if I'm faced with like, a, should I clean? Well, I'm like knowing if my bathroom is disgusting and messy, it's going to make me feel worse than I will clean. So like just the question of like, what will make me feel worse? Doing the thing or not doing the thing? And that was that was my starting point. 
point a lot. That's a really, really, really good question. I used to have the opposite problem where I was like, I would, um, I was not like this when I was younger, <laughs> but there was a while where I was sort of like, basically I wasn't acknowledging the fact that I was having a really difficult time adjusting to a new job, working Mm -hmm. here, and that it was more work than I'd ever had to deal with at once. And so it became like, instead of doing things that like would probably have made me feel better, like hanging out, talking to friends, (laughs) it's like, I'm going to get and wash these dishes right now. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I like that question of like, instead of thinking about what the quote unquote right thing to do is, what's going to actually make me feel better? So many of these behaviors are kind of fundamentally neutral and can be abused. And so I think figure out like, okay, what is actually going on here? Are you washing the dishes because you don't want to go hang out with your friends and have to be vulnerable and have to talk to them? Like, it's not to say you can't wash Mm. your dishes, but like have that conversation with yourself. And I do think it is worth digging a little bit. Mm. I'm like getting that information. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's all about like tiny steps Mm. and figuring out the tiny things you can do. It's not about overhauling your whole life or, or aiming for perfection. So another piece that you wrote that that actually had like a profound influence on me was about streamlining your wardrobe and having a uniform. Mm-hmm. And you were honestly one of my favorite listicles of all time. <laughs> and, and you broke down how you got your closet down to like a few key pieces that you like, mm-hmm. you know, that actually fit you well um, and kind of all go together. Basically, like you can now get up in the morning and like just get dressed without thinking about it. It's a part of being organized because choosing an outfit, figuring out what's clean and what matches and like, oh, all the outfits I feel good in are dirty, so I have to wear something I feel shitty about. When you feel bad about your outfit, it ruins your whole day or when you're uncomfortable in it or you're uncomfortable in your shoes, like that's all you can think about. You Mm. can't do anything else. Showing up for yourself means feeling comfortable and that means like physically but also emotionally and I think your clothes play a part in both. Like you just, if you're like, if your pants are too tight, like that is a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my guiding principle. Like, what do I feel truly comfortable in? That's all I'm going to buy. And that's all I'm going to wear. And if that means my wardrobe is boring, like, I don't care. That's fine. Like, obviously the way that I look isn't like a major part of my daily job, (laughs) but it's become something that's like become more and more what am I going to wear to this thing and like appear somewhere in a professional context has become a bigger thing to figure out. Yeah, And like, I have definitely cried in a full body Spanx oh, yeah. before going to a formal event where my partner was just like, girl, yep. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> like, I love you, but we have to get in this car. Mm-hmm. Like, That's such a terrible out. feeling, though. The comfort thing is that was actually a really big help. It just made me feel so much more professionally empowered, but it also made me feel like I could center my own comfort. Yes. Like, it's, it's not just about, like, how you're showing up in the world and, like, how you look, but it's also, like— having clothes that actually fit, mm-hmm. having clothes that you actually like, that things you that you like. feel good yeah. in. Your personal comfort. It's really about mm-hmm. taking care of your body. Yeah. If you're too cold or too hot yeah. or your feet are wet, like you just can't, you can't do your job. You can't show up in the world. You can't take care of other people. Like that's all you can think about is the fact that your feet are wet and that you're cold. In the past year, I've started wearing sneakers almost every single day to work. Love it. Literally. It like <laughs> changed my life. Mm-hmm. And like even switching to a backpack, I, it, yeah. I've had bad knee and hip pain mm-hmm. from carrying a tote on one side. Switching to a backpack, it's like the smallest little thing. It's the smallest things. Things like that are like a gateway drug to showing up and they're different for everybody. But once you get that taste of like, a, oh, 
it doesn't have to be this way. Like when you find the thing that you can actually do has a snowball effect of like, now I'm going to see what else I can do. You start to realize like, oh, I can build the life that I want to live slowly over time in all these little ways. We may never be able to fix the big things in our lives or we may never be able to turn off the fact that we're going through trauma or things like that. But like we can hopefully change the fact that we're doing it in uncomfortable shoes. If you're taken care of, then you're able to actually take care of other people. We're using the example of how your clothes feel. Like if your clothes don't fit, if that's all you're thinking about, then you're not thinking about the people around you. Like you're just thinking about yourself because you can't notice other people if you're just so distracted by your own shit. It kind of seems like one of the main purposes of your version of self-care is to fill your fill your own cups, mm-hmm. that you have the energy and the resources to sort of like contribute to society mm-hmm. and like show up for other people mm-hmm. and show up in the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can't really give anybody anything totally. if you don't if you don't have something yeah of your absolutely own. and I think that is one of those things that is fairly well known but I don't think we always think about all the ways that can manifest I can't deal with people if I haven't had enough sleep. Like, I get so cranky so quickly. So being rested means that I can listen to you talk about what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. That's where being organized, like, becomes a gift for other people. When I am organized, I can better show up for other people. Like, I can literally show up on time. If I'm organized, I can remember their birthdays and things like that. Being organized mm-hmm. is very feminized in, like, your traditional cishet household, yep. which isn't everyone's framework, but it's the way that we're taught totally. to think about the framework of family, usually the mom is doing the emotional mm-hmm. labor of, of organization and even like at work. Yeah. There have been studies about things yeah, like absolutely. this. You know, that work tends to fall to women mm-hmm. on teams. Self-care is very feminized. Mm-hmm. There are so many masculinized versions of these very same mm. things. You know, topics that like tech bros like, like uh-huh. Tim Ferriss or Gary yep. Vaynerchuk cover it's very similar types of information, yeah. but it's productivity, time management hacks, mm-hmm. you know, four-hour work week, four-hour yep. body, drinking Soylent. The concepts are so similar, but there is this different sort of packaging put on it. The packaging almost speaks to what the intended yes. end goal is. You know, the sort of like tech pro version is like try to save as much time as you can or do things faster or more streamlined mm-hmm. so that you can work more. What do the tech bros want? Like, why are they doing that? <laughs> why are they doing this? kind of feels like the work that you're doing is taking some similar principles, but like turning them into tools that you can use to lead a more fulfilling life. Yeah. Like here are ways that you can sort of take this tool that could be used for productivity, but like using it to turn your resources and your energy back toward Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. I'm perfectly aware that most of the people who read my work are women. um, And I... And I'm like, that's a bummer because I think men could benefit from this too. Like mm-hmm. men also should should take care of their mental health and should lead a more fulfilling life. But I don't know if if they're going to feel like it's for them because of sort of the, the, the things that they've been taught are for them or are not for them. So much of what I care about is historically feminine. And I go back and forth sort of how on how I feel about that and, and ultimately land on like these things are these things are good. These things are important. Just because they have been used as tools to be oppressive doesn't mean that they are not good things. Like chores being an example. Like, yeah, they're chores, but like a clean home is good. Mm. It is beautiful. It is safer. It is healthier. It is lovelier. And like, that is a good thing. And I don't want us to shit on the things that are so lovely and wonderful just because we've been taught that they don't matter. And I'm like, well, if these don't matter, like what does then? Like, what is the thing? Like, These are the things that add up to build a life. To me, a good life is built just sort of in the tiny everyday things that we get to do. So if you can figure out what that thing is, go for it and and don't, don't think it's not worth it. It is definitely worth it.
Wonderful. Thank you so, thank so, you. so, so much. This is wonderful. <laughs> this, was, this has been fantastic. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you us. so much for having me. It's a pleasure. This has been another edition of Get Your Life with Brittany Luce. Don't make her have to say it again. If you want to get more of your life, check out Rachel's blog, justgoodshit.com. Seriously, it's just full of good shit. And listeners, I just have to share one of my biggest self-care hacks of the past year, listening to romance novels on audiobook. I love it. I love it so much that I did a whole episode about it. So if you want more self-care, check out the episode called What's Wrong with a Little Romance? And thank me later. The Knot is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Sada Abdurrahman. This episode was edited by Sarah Saracen. Our show is mixed by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For additional music credits, check the show notes.